Bibles out. Get into this sermon. Need you to go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. We've got some visitors here today. The way we do this is once you get to that spot, Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8, say amen so I know you're there. Amen. I'll give you a few more seconds. All right. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality to God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Let us pray. Father, I praise you even when it's hard, even when it's been like it's been this last week. God, all the way up to just before this sermon, Satan tries to distract us in so many ways. But God, the thing is that I know that you've already conquered him. I praise you for that. That's why we praise you in the hard moments, because we know you'll take the bad and always make it good. God, I thank you for this church, the leadership of this church, watching people stand up and love on others and be there when they need them. God, that's only you. I thank you for your love, for teaching us how to do that. God, I'm so excited to be a part of this church, and I'm so proud of them. God, in this moment, I know you've given me a word to give today. I ask that you take all of my selfishness, all my pride, my anger, the distractions. God, I ask that you cast them into the sea and you replace them with nothing but your love, your breath. I ask that you anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, that every word that I give is yours. God, do not let me show up, God. I need you to show up. I praise you, Father. I ask all these things in your name. Help us to love, help us to laugh, help us forgive. Amen. You guys are going to have to bear with me because I, I don't preach with a microphone. I, I told my sister a minute ago, like, I feel like a rapper or something, like I'm going to drop the mic, you know. So y'all bear with me, like, if I really do drop the mic, I apologize. I just might forget that I even had it in my hand. All right, guys, so here's the thing. We're going to continue our series that we had going that we started last week, You Are Called. This is going to go on for a few more weeks, and each week we're going to discuss different characteristics uh, of what it is that you need when God calls you to one of his missions, okay? This week we're going to discuss two things. We're going to discuss humility and obedience, there's not a particular order that I'm doing this in, by the way, but I do believe that humility does come first. I do believe that. I want you to think about this. There are two characteristics to a Christian. I've preached on this before. I did a sermon on this. It's humility and pride. In fact, the definition of humility is freeing yourself of all pride. The Bible discusses these two characteristics many times. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. And then also Proverbs 
29, 23. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Now, those are two verses that literally have pride and humility in both of them. Both words. But then there's two verses that I always go to to point out to people that there are these two characteristics of a Christian of pride and humility. I want to go to those now. It's Proverbs 16, 8 and James 4, 10. 16, 8. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. And then James 4, 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Can y'all hear me okay? Is this thing like skipping in and out or anything? It sounds like it up here, but y'all can hear me okay. That's all that matters. And if I can't hear myself, it's probably better, to be honest with you. As long as y'all can hear me, we're good. These two verses are the ones that I always use when I'm trying to explain to people that there are these two main characteristics in a Christian. You can either be prideful or you can be humble. Think about it. Every decision that you make as a Christian, every decision in your life, you can go down one of two paths. You can go down the path of pride, which is all about you, or you can go down the path of pride, excuse me, the path of humility, which is about others and about God. That's the decision you have to make on every single decision. Y'all follow me there? No? I got two people like, yeah, Mike, I get it. I am not doing a good job if I only got two people shaking their heads this morning. Okay, thank you. There's three. That makes me feel better. The first step in accepting a mission from God is humbling yourself. You cannot go to the next step of God's calling for you in your life until you do this. The great heroes of the Bible took this first step of humility when they were called. I mean, if you think about Moses, okay, I love, a lot of people may miss this, but Moses, you know, when he went to the burning bush, the way that he humbled himself is when God said, take your sandals off, you are on holy ground. And immediately Moses did that. That's pure humility. Pure humility. If you look at uh, Noah, I mean, Noah looked like a fool, right? Everybody thought he's crazy. Pure humility. Elijah had to follow Elijah for six years before he could be the next great prophet. He had to learn under Elijah. Joshua had to follow Moses for 40 years before he could become the leader. Again, humility. But here's what's cool about those four men. Elijah, okay, let me, for those of y'all don't know, okay, there's Elisha and Elijah, okay? Elijah was the older one. Elisha was the younger one. Y'all follow me there? You get that? Amen. Okay, good. Because that was really hard for me to figure out as a child. Like, I didn't get it. I'm like, why are they talking, why is the same person doing this and this person to do that? It doesn't make any sense. Elijah and Moses, they had to train their replacements in Elisha and Joshua, knowing that they were going to be their replacements. That's pure humility. That's hard to do. When you're the leader and you know that at some point this other person's going to take over, you have a decision that you have to make. Am I going to train this person up or am I going to be prideful and not teach them and be like, you know, when I'm gone, they're going to miss me. You know what I'm saying? Y'all follow me there? When I think about that, there's a guy that, that I loved watching play football. Y'all know I love my football. Kurt Warner, he was the quarterback 
for the St. Louis Rams. Well, a lot of people don't know this. He went to a small college. Um, he got drafted, but then got released at training camp. Um, he went on to play for a arena football team, which doesn't make any money, pretty much. I think he, I think he was making $40,000 a year, which obviously in football, if you look at it in the pros, there's a major difference, right? I mean, what, what did Dak just sign, $40 million a year or something crazy like that? I wish he'd just send us a million at the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, Dak, if you're watching, just a million. And, and everybody in here, big Cowboy fan. Everybody, right? right. Amen. Okay, so, and y'all, you, Dak, y'all need our prayers, I promise you. So, so Kurt Warner finally got a great opportunity. He was playing for this arena team. He was doing really good, and then it was in the offseason. He was bagging groceries, and he got a phone call. It was from the St. Louis Rams. It's from the St. Louis Rams. Satan, you ain't going to stop me. You might as well just get behind me. Well, he is behind me. You might as well get out. So, so, so Kurt Warner gets this call. It's the St. Louis Rams. They invite him to camp. He comes to camp. He wins the backup position, backup quarterback position. There was a guy named Trent Green that was the starting quarterback, and Trent got hurt in the offseason at a preseason game, and Kurt Warner had to take over. This was in 1999. In 1999, most of y'all know this, but for those of you that don't, the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl, but that's not the cool part of the story. The cool part of the story is, is that Kurt Warner, a guy that was sacking groceries, won league MVP and Super Bowl MVP as well. The first thing Kurt Warner said when he won the MVP and won the Super Bowl was thank you, Jesus, from the stage immediately. And he didn't say it. He shouted it. So immediately we know that this man is a Christian. We know that he's a humble guy. God put him through a humbling process. But then again, he had to go train his replacements. Two years later, he got hurt. He was never the same guy. He had to replace a guy replaced him named Mark Bulger. Kurt Warner handled it the same way that Moses and Elijah handled it as well. He trained, he groomed, he taught this young man how to play football in the pros. Mark Bolger went on to make two straight Pro Bowls right after that. Kurt Warner got released because he was no longer needed. He went to the New York Giants, thought he was going to be the starter there. As soon as he went to the New York Giants, they drafted Eli Manning in the first round. Kurt Warner started for about half a year. They came to him and said, we're going to start Eli. Now, you could have, this is the you know, second time he's been through this. He could have, you know, well, release me, trade me, whatever. But, no, he said, no problem. I'm going to coach this kid. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. And he says to this day still that without Kurt Warner, he doesn't win those two Super Bowls. Kurt Warner again gets released. He goes to the Arizona Cardinals. Now, at that point in time, the Arizona Cardinals were awful. They had been awful for years. That's where players went at the end of their career. Emmett Smith went there, and basically it was to sell tickets at the very end of his career. So Kurt Warner goes to Arizona, which is a dead-end place, but he takes that team to the Super Bowl. They didn't win. They should have. Pittsburgh got really lucky. I mean, really, really lucky in that Super Bowl. But the thing is, is here's what I love about Kurt Warner. Strong Christian man, full of humility, trains people to take his place, and then God still put him in his favor and gave him a great opportunity. To this day, Kurt Warner will tell you that he wouldn't change a thing. 
the injuries he had, the teams he got released from, he wouldn't change a thing. And the reason why is because he grew on his walk. That's true humility, guys, when you train your replacements. That's a hard thing to do. Humility is having the proper estimation of yourself and of others. It's not thinking too highly or too lowly of yourself. In fact, it's not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking first and foremost of others. That's pure humility. This is one way you can always test if God is actually calling you for one of his missions. You need to stop and think. Is this mission, this is what you do. When God gives you a mission, he gives you a vision of something that he wants you to do. You got to sit there and you got to stop. You got to think, okay, but is this going to be all about me? Am I going to be the only one that gains anything from this? Or are others going to gain something from this? If it's just you, that's not the direction you need to go. God says, humble myself, humble yourself before him and he'll exalt you. In other words, if it's all about you, that's not the direction that God wants you to go. God wants you to lift up others around you to build his kingdom, right? So that should always be your thought process. Every time God gives you a vision, gives you a direction on something to do, okay, is this going to better just me or is this going to better others? That should give you your answer of where to go. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. This verse is critical. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The problem with our generation today, this generation now, we have too many that are climbing for honor instead of kneeling for humility. I see more and more of that. Too many people think about themselves. So many people want something great in their life, but they're wanting to go out and get it themselves instead of humbly dropping to their knees. Number one, asking, is God, is this what you want me to do? And then number two, looking after others. The number one characteristic of a strong leader is humility. That was actually told to me by one of my football coaches years and years ago. You don't really hear that a lot in sports, but that's the truth of it. That's the number one characteristic of a strong leader. If you think of the greatest leaders right now in your mind, if you can think of the greatest leaders that you've ever been around, I guarantee you they're solid, humble people. Humility shines for them. The next step to move forward in your calling from God is obedience. To be honest, the first step of humbling yourself is easy compared to this one. Obedience, the definition of it, is submission to another's authority. In order to accomplish your mission from God, you have to be obedient until it hurts and then push past the pain. These men that we discussed earlier, do you really think that they wanted to drop everything that they were doing and follow the mission that God gave them. I don't think they really wanted to. I don't think their flesh wanted to. I mean, Moses was loving life at the time that he came across the burning bush. He had a peaceful job. He had a wife. He had children. 
you got to think he was he was miserable in Egypt he gets out of Egypt he's finally happy and God comes to him and says you got to go back he's finally comfortable guys why would he want to go on a mission from God when he's finally comfortable Elisha was enjoying working for his family as a farmer he was destined to take that position over he was destined to take over the family business why would he want to leave his comfortable life and go on a mission from God I bet Joshua was pretty comfortable being the backup quarterback to Moses because I want you to think about all of the people that he had to manage and all the egos he had to manage that's a lot of Israelites right I can I can envision <laughs> I thought about this I can envision Joshua trying to lead like Joshua was a warrior okay like Joshua going out killing people right like that was his thing that that's what he was good at so 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 then you you ask him to lead like I can see people coming to Moses with some issues and, and Moses was the meekest man in the Bible right like that was his thing so I can see him sitting down with him and just loving on him and talking peacefully to him and then when Moses died and he came to Joshua he put a sword in your face like you either agree with me or I'll cut your throat like I mean that's just what I see with Joshua because that's just that was his mindset I mean the man was a little crazy okay so it's funny to me that Joshua that that's the last thing he wanted to do guys Joshua would have just been like hey just let me go fight people like that's what I, want. I just want to go win wars that's what I want to do so why would he want to lead people why would he want to leave his comfort zone and follow the mission of God when he was comfortable he was happy God's going to push you to the ledge and shove you over it. Hear me out. He shoves you over that ledge because the thing is, is it takes more than you to fulfill his mission. We all have limitations. I preached on that weeks back. These limitations keep us from reaching the goals that God has for us in our lives. But see, when God pushes you over the ledge... The Holy Spirit is always there to catch you. When God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, he left us the helper that helpers the Holy Spirit. And there are no limitations to the Holy Spirit. So in order to get where God wants you to go, in order to push past your comfort zone, you must be obedient and trust in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes... God calls you, and again, he asks you to do something that's way out of your comfort zone, right? And I can sit up here all day and give you all these analogies about how, you know, that's how you grow, is stepping out of your comfort zone and so forth. I think most of us know that. But then I, I really got to studying my boy Joshua a few years ago. I love Joshua. Y'all heard me talk about him. That is my boy in the Old Testament. A lot of y'all have heard me say many times what I said earlier about we're going to be obedient as a church until it hurts and we're going to push past that pain. We'll go even further. I truly believe that's why God's blessed this church as much as he has in the last year. I also believe that's why Satan's trying to attack this church 24-7. But... God called Joshua at Jericho. We talked about this at Bible study a couple weeks ago. 
well, I'll just Deuteronomy 2016. Go ahead and go with that, Nick. This is God's direction to the Israelites. In those towns that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, destroy every, every living thing. Men, women, and children. I don't know that I could be that obedient. That's hard. My question to you guys today is, could you be that obedient? If you were standing there in Joshua's shoes, could you literally go in? And by the way, it wasn't just, wasn't just Jericho. There were 31 cities that the Israelites took over. And in all 31 cities, he said, destroy every living thing. So you're going from city to city, and you're wiping everything out. Could you as a church be that obedient? Could you be strong enough to push past that comfort zone and, and, and the hurt and the pain of being obedient to something that you absolutely do not want to do? A lot of people will say, but Michael, why would God order the Israelites to do this? Why would God do that? We're going to go two verses later to Deuteronomy 20:18. This will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. Always remember, church, when God pushes your obedience and he pushes it past your comfort zone, he always has a purpose for that push. If you don't kill every living thing in the Old Testament, what God knew was something that we did not know. That the children would rise up for revenge, come after them, persuade them to learn from their gods. So being obedient until it hurts We just have to remember when God asks us to do something so hard, something that we just can't imagine that we would even have the courage to do or even try, there's a purpose for the push. Always. We can't see that other side, and we want to, but see, that's what faith is. Faith is not knowing what's on that other side when we are obedient. But I promise you, if God calls you to a mission and you walk into it with pure humility where it's about everybody else and you have the obedience to push past that pain, there's going to always be a purpose on the other side of that. Amen. On August the 6th, 1945, the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. Pretty much ending World War II. I'm giving y'all a history lesson. Most of you young kids, surely y'all know about World War II. I swear, if I, I swear, if I have a teenager that tells me they don't know that, our schools are doing a terrible job. It is recorded that on August the 5th, 
one day before August the 6th, obviously, at 8 a.m. while on the U.S. Naval ship, President Harry Truman prayed about this heavy burden that he had to make a decision on. It was estimated that between 400 and 500,000 American soldiers alone would be killed if they didn't drop the bomb and had to invade Hiroshima. That's not counting the estimated two million Japanese soldiers. So you could say two and a half million lives on the invasion of Hiroshima if you don't drop the atomic bomb. It was also estimated that if Truman never dropped a bomb to end the war, the war would have lasted many more years and killed over 32 million people. Like I said, a day before, he's on a U.S. naval ship and he's praying about this decision. I don't know this. There's no factual evidence for me to tell you this. But I have studied Truman quite a bit. He was a strong Christian man. He was very strong in his belief. I have no doubt in my mind that when Truman said amen, he had complete peace about the decision he had to make. Thirty-two million would have died if he never dropped the atomic bomb. That was the estimated amount of people that would have died in this war. Because he drops the bomb, 66,000 people die on August the 6th, 1945. It doesn't take a scale to figure that one out, right? A lot of people don't know this, and this is what I love about Truman. He made dang sure that three times planes flew over Hiroshima, dropped pamphlets to let them know that they were going to drop the bomb. He was trying to get them out. He didn't want to kill alive. He didn't want to kill people. He wanted to take out their war structure. But 66,000 people die on that day. Sometimes God calls you to do something, and you're looking at 66,000 lives. But what we didn't know is it could have been 32 million. Can you be obedient until it hurts so bad? And then keep going. That's the thing. Like He's going to take you to this limit where it hurts so bad. But you can't stop. If you stop, you lose. You've got to push past that and into more pain. Are you as a church ready and willing to do that? Because that's the calling he gave us, guys. I was talking to Bojo earlier today. I don't know why he wanted us to start this series right now. I don't know why he wanted us to talk about the calling of this church and what he has, what he's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to grow stronger. He's wanting us to figure out what it is that we need is it to, to accomplish this mission. He wants me to teach you all these characteristics and talk about all these characteristics. And a lot of this stuff, obviously, a lot of y'all know this. It sounds pretty elementary, right? I mean, like humility and obedience. Like, Mike, I get that. I'm being obedient to what he wants me to preach you. I don't know why he wants me to put this out there, but I promise you there's a purpose for the push. There's something coming up, guys. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I do know one thing. We're going to be prepared. Because whatever it is that's coming, he knows we can handle it. Amen?
when Harry Truman was asked, by the way, later on, if he ever regretted that decision, every time he was asked that, he never hesitated, said, no, I never regretted it. I'd do it again. That again shows me that God gave him peace through prayer. We need more presidents like that. You know that God, even himself, had to push past his comfort zone? God did. Almighty God. All powerful. He had to push past his comfort zone at one point in time. When you give your son up, you give your son's life away, you don't think that was out of God's comfort zone? Even God had to be obedient to his own mission. So why do we think we can't be obedient? God Almighty had to be obedient to his own mission. Push past your comfort zone, guys. There's always a reason for it. If you want to help grow this church, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to step up, go past whatever it is that you think is the limit. Keep reaching. Go past those limitations that you have. And as a church, let's get ready for this mission that he's got for us. Can y'all do that for me, church? Can y'all do that for God? Not for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for God. I told you this last week. I'm going to tell you again, and I'm going to tell you this at the end of every week. I'm preparing for battle. Again, I have no clue what this battle is that we're fixing to face, but I'm preparing for it. Are you coming with me? Amen. Grab a pen and paper and write this down. By the way, I got on to y'all last week for stealing all the pens. Just let y'all know we got 250 more pens coming. I said something, said something to Amanda about that, my wife. And, and she's like, you know, Micah, pens ain't real expensive. Like, you might want to buy some more pens. I said, well, I planned on it. I just wanted the congregation to feel a little guilty for stealing all of them. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Great moments are born by great acts of obedience. I want to finish with this, and I'll leave you alone. I'm already getting dead gum emotional about it. I had two other times in my notes that I was supposed to talk about this, but he kept telling me to wait. I was comfortable. I was so comfortable. I had a good life. Business was good. Family was happy. I was enjoying church. Had more friends, brothers, and sisters around me than I've ever had. And he pushed me over the ledge. And he asked me to start a church. And it took me so far out of my comfort zone. 
And it took me so far away from anything that I ever would have imagined that he would have called me to do. And I didn't understand it at the time. But I look around in here today and I look at y'all. And I'm so glad I did it. There was a purpose for the push. I need y'all to know I love you. And even though I may tell y'all how hard it might be at times and how it's a struggle at times, I can tell you this right now. If I knew God was coming back tomorrow, I'd be doing the same thing today, tomorrow. Tomorrow.